Well, this morning, we are in our second week in our series on Genesis. And we're going to be starting in chapter 12, verse 10, verse 10. You can uh, follow along in the Bibles provided for you if you don't have your own. Um, if you don't have a Bible, free, free, feel free to take one with you. Now, this whole series is following the life of Abraham. And next to Jesus Christ, Abraham may be the most influential person in the history of the world, and not just in Christianity. The three major faiths in the world, Muslims, Jews, and Christians, which is a majority of the population in the world, look to Abraham as the father of their faith. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that all faiths are the same. Jesus said, just as we sang in the first song, I am the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father but through me. But the point is that he is looked by a majority of the world as a great man of faith. Now, this does not mean he had a perfect faith. No, as we will see today and many more times, he was far from it. And that's why we call this series The Difficult Journey of Faith. Because Abraham did not travel an easy and straight road. He experienced detours. He had struggles. And sometimes his faith was strong and he brought God glory. And other times his faith was weak and he sinned greatly. But through all of it, we see the promises of God coming through again, again, and again. The journey of faith like for Abraham and for us, is never easy. But as we trust in his faithfulness, God will do more than we could ever imagine. Amen, church? Amen. So in case you weren't here last week, give you a little recap. We saw God call Abram. That was Abraham's name before God changed it, to leave his homeland, to leave everything that you know. And, and as he did this, God made this promise in Genesis 12, verse 2. He says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now obviously we have seen God's promise fulfilled in Abraham's life. We saw it through the birth of his son Isaac, which we'll talk about later, and ultimately through the birth of Jesus Christ. And that's what God meant when he said, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. But Abraham could not see that then. He never saw all of the promises of God come to pass. All he had as he left everything he knew was this promise to hold on to and start his difficult journey of faith. And faith is exactly what it takes to follow God. Because as we talked about last week, God has zero problem taking you out of your comfort zone. He has zero problem putting you in positions where you feel like you have absolutely no control. And Abram would have certainly been in this position because he didn't even know where he was going. Abram, I want you to go. Where am I going? I'll tell you when you get there. Oh, okay. But as he embarked, he had this promise to hold on to, right? This promise to give him hope, uh, and to give him courage, to give him joy, and to give him peace as he traveled. And so that brings us to verse 10, where we see for the very first recorded time how he responded to trouble that he faced. Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. 
for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Always a good thing to say to your wife. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princess, princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, Pharaoh dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes when we are following God, maybe when we first follow God, or when God calls us into something new and we feel these promises of God, we just think like everything's going to be awesome, right? Everything's going to be great. Doors are going to open left. They're going to open right. God's going to give us favor with everyone. The blessings of Lord are going to just rain down, right? We're just excited. We're enthusiastic. But that's not life, is it? That's not life. I mean, look at Abram. He's, he's doing exactly what God told him to do. Pick up your stuff, go somewhere else. I'll tell you when you get there. And so he does this, leaves everything that he knows, all of his family. And what is his reward? He finds himself in the middle of a famine. No food. It doesn't say God sent the famine, but God certainly did not save Abraham from the famine. It's the same for us today as followers of God. It's only a matter of time until your faith is going to be tested by some kind of trial in your life. If you don't know this yet, you're going to know it. Your faith will be tested. Let me say it again. Your faith will be tested. Without question. Now the question that is there is when your faith is tested, and it will be time and time and time and time again, how will you respond? How will you respond? You see, all of us, we have in our sinful nature, we have default actions when it comes to our faith being tested. We all have a default way that we go about dealing with trials. Like some of us, we run away. Some of us, we want to fight. Probably other options. We all have this default thing in us and how we respond. And these default reactions that we have reveal, if we pay attention, they reveal a lot about what kind of faith we really have in God. Right? Because it's easy to have faith when everything's going good, when the blessings are just falling, right? When the good paycheck's coming in, 
Everything in the house is good, right? Your, your, your NFL team drafts really well, right? It's really good to have great faith. Like, God, just bless this, right? It's in the hard times when it's tested. But we got to remember our call to faith. We, we read this in Hebrews last week, that it's impossible, impossible to please God without faith. Can't do it. And so we should want to know, what kind of faith do I have? That's a question we should want to have answered. If it is a desire in our lives to please God. And so that's why I'm praying this morning that God will reveal to us what kind of faith we really got when we deal with trials in our lives. Is that something you want to know this morning, church? I'm not sure I want to know it. <laughs> Me either. Genesis 12.10. Let's read this again. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe. All right, so like we said, famine's breaking out, so Abram decides to sojourn, which is just a really, really fancy word for go to another country and live for a while. And he goes down to Egypt, right? Because Egypt had like this really durable ecosystem. They had the Nile River, this massive river, so they didn't depend on rain the same way. In fact, I, I thought just for fun, uh, in an Egyptian tomb, they found some paintings that showed some of the sojourners that were going to Egypt. Now, this is not necessarily uh, Abram and his family, but this is uh, actual in the tomb. So this is, may have been exactly how they dressed. Well, it's not so bad. It's a nice color in there, right? This is how they would probably dress back in those days. Now, I think it's a natural response for all of us that if we're in a place that we don't have enough food, we're going to go to somewhere where there is a lot of food. Adds up, right? So I have, a no, I have no problem with what we see in the text. But what I do have a problem with is, is with what we don't. That's what we don't see in the text. And what do we not see in the text? We see no mention of Abraham pausing to seek God's instruction. There's like no mention of prayer anywhere in here. And I think we can all be guilty of this. We can all be guilty of moving forward without seeking God's, God earnestly. We all look at the practical thing to do and we just go and do it. Especially when it's something that brings fear into our lives. And yet, we read in Psalms 27, 14, one of many verses like this, this says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And pausing to seek the Lord is such an important thing. Now, this doesn't mean God, because we pause to seek the Lord in prayer, like, God, what should I do? That God's just gonna be like, let me solve your problem, boom, right? Or give you some huge epiphany, right? Prophetic, walk this road, right? It doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that. But what I have noticed in my life, when something brings me anxiety and brings me worry and brings me fear, that when I choose to pause and, and, you know, and, and not just like say a quick prayer and then go about my business, though there's a place for that. When I pause before the Lord and say, God, this is where I'm at. I'm afraid. I'm feeling anxious. I don't know what to do. I need you. That in those moments, I come out of them and everything doesn't feel like quite the emergency that it once did. It doesn't mean I'm excited about it. it doesn't mean it's trouble, but there's a peace that I had that I did not have, I have that I did not have before. Because in that moment, what I'm doing 
is I'm allowing myself to take a moment to remember the sovereignty of God, to remember his mighty promises. We listed a bunch of them out last week. And I've also noticed that when I stop and I pray and I don't go into my default, I'm going to fix this because I'm a dude. I love to fix things, right? You know, when I just don't pull out the tool belt right away, that when I pause and I seek the Lord, I start asking questions that I wouldn't normally ask. For example, what if God wanted Abraham to stay in the land of famine when there was no food? If you read the Bible, that is a plausible possibility. God has no problem leaving you in the muck. None. I mean, what if God did not want him to leave the land, even though there was a famine? What if God wanted to provide for him in the land of famine? Just like he did for the Israelites when they were wandering through the wilderness. I mean, we'll never know because scripture does not record Abraham seeking God's face. But I bring this up because I think it's in our nature to often just default, we want to get out of a bad situation. Either by fixing it or by running away. We want to get out of a bad situation. But I think in my time being a Christian, when I read in scripture, that God doesn't want us always to get out of a bad situation. I think probably most of the time, it's not God's will for us to get out of a bad situation. Because God often wants to do something in the trial, in the struggle that we are facing. Now, I may be wrong in this. You can tell me afterwards. Don't call out, call out heresy while I'm preaching, please. But I don't remember any time in the Bible where God, somebody honored God by running away from a problem, unless it was temptation. I mean, think of the people that we've covered in the recent years who all glorified God because they endured the bad situation they were in, right? Ruth, uh, Daniel, we talked about Jesus, um, Esther, Nehemiah. They glorified God by sticking in it and being used by him. When, I love this quote by Warren Wearsby. He says this, when facing trials, he says, the important, hear this, the important question to ask is not, how can I get out of this? But Lord, what can I get out of this? Not how can I get out of this rather, but what can I get out of this? There's a difference between the two. One is like, I know what's best. I need to get out of it. The other one says, I don't know what's best. I don't know what God might be doing, so I need to seek his face. He might have a purpose. Sometimes he has a purpose for the trials that he puts you into. We have to remember, uh, David Platt said this once in, in a different sermon. He said, we have to remember when then God sends us, he goes too. He goes with us. His grace will keep us and provide for us no matter what we're going through. I mean, God made a promise to make Abraham a great nation, which means he was not going to die in the famine. God would have provided for him. But instead, Abraham leaves for Egypt. Now, if you read, spend much time in the Old Testament, you'll notice that Egypt is often referred to as an illustration for man's attempt to provide for himself. Uh, it, a, an illustration for what the world can provide for you because it was the biggest nation back then. But God, he doesn't want us to look to mankind to provide for him. He wants us to look to him. 
But often in my life, the only way I'm ever going to look to him as my provider is when I actually put myself in a place to depend on him. Are you with me, church? Now, it does not say this. But based on what I read, what he's about to do in a minute and continues to do, when I think about what would have drove Abraham to leave for Egypt, the thing that I come up with in my mind is fear. And I'll tell you right now, nothing can compromise your faith more than fear. Let me say it again. Fear will compromise your faith. We often don't think about that. I'll say it one more time, just really wanted to hit in here. Fear will compromise your faith. Worry and anxiety, it will compromise your faith. It tempts us to not trust in God and to trust in the things that we can actually see and touch and do ourselves. And we see in all areas of life. For example, you take a Christian woman who, who has a desire to get married. And she wonders if she'll ever get married because it ain't happening. And so some guy takes an interest in her, but he's not a believer. She knows the Bible warns her against marrying someone who's not a believer. She knows it can draw her away from him. But instead of trusting God for her future, she presses on with the relationship, getting farther and farther away from the Lord. Or a person might take a job they know is not good for their faith, a job that is not good for their witness, a job that's not good for their family. It's just good for the pocketbook. And they know it's going to cause them to compromise. And yet they take it anyway because they're so worried about their finances. They're so worried about God not providing. They're so worried if he's going to provide that they just want to take whatever they can get. Sometimes staying in the struggle is the best thing for you. Because sometimes God just has something way better down the line for you, but he's waiting. He's waiting because he wants to do a work in you. Bible speaks to this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of of Jesus Christ, right? You take gold, what do you do? You heat it up, put it in fire, and it gets rid of all the impurities. The same way our faith, the only way our faith becomes stronger and true is when it goes through the fire. And all the doubt, and all the fear, and all the anxiety, and all the wanting to control, and the selfishness is just burned away. And God does this because it shows us our need for him, and because we usually are going to need a greater faith down the road, and he prepares us for what is coming. That's, I mean, literally, we don't think that's fun, but sometimes God allows us to go through things just so we can grow in faith with him, for him, to him, however you say it. And that's why it's a great question to say, God, not can, how can I get out of this, but Lord, what... What are you doing? What are you teaching me? How am I supposed to serve you? What, what is happening here? And the funny thing about responding to life in fear, it's like anything else. Anything you do, you get better at doing. 
Let's go to verse 11 when they're entering Egypt again. Let's read this again. When he, Abraham, was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a beautiful woman in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, man, this is his wife. We're going to kill him, but they're going to let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Once again, we do not see any mention of prayer or seeking the Lord. We just see Abraham responding in what? Fear. Abram knows, man, I've married a, married a total hottie. They are going to come after her. And you know she was a hottie because she was like 75 years old when this all went down. Now, granted, I think back then, 75 then did not equal 75 today. You know, in the, in the, I think they age differently, but it's in a whole other thing, Majigger. But my, he's like, he's worried. And so he gets Sarai to lie with him. And now, technically, it's a half lie, because we'll find out in Genesis 20 that Sarai is his half-sister, which I know is weird for us today, not culturally appropriate, a little weird for us to comprehend, but back then, it was not an issue. Whole another sermon once again. Maybe we'll get to it in a few chapters, because it's about to get weird in Genesis the farther we go. But what is Abraham doing here? He's taking his eyes off God. Instead of looking at where God said, I will, I will, I will, I will, his eyes are now over here and he's thinking, oh man, they're gonna do this, they're gonna do this, they're gonna do this, they're gonna do this, they're gonna do this. He's taking his eyes off of God's promises. I mean, God literally said, I'm gonna make you a great nation. You cannot be a great nation if you're dead. So he ain't gonna die. Now maybe... Maybe Abram thought, okay, I have no kids. My wife is barren, as we learned about in Genesis 11. So, so maybe through my nephew Lot, this is how like, my family's gonna go on. Regardless of what he was thinking of how God's gonna work this all out, he still lied to protect his own skin. When you lie, you're not someone who's trusting God. It's one pastor who once said, he said, faith is living without scheming. I thought that was good. And Abram's clearly scheming. He's lying. He is telling half the truth. Anytime that we lie, anytime we even tell half the truth, or anytime we tell some of the truth, but we leave some of the other truth out, we're scheming. Plain and simple. We're not someone who trusts in the Lord. And this is whether we lie to get something extra that we didn't have, or you know, maybe like someone's applying for a job, so they like, you know, add a little extra on there, or when we lie to not reveal something bad that's going on in our lives, to hide something we don't want people to know, whatever it may be, we're scheming. And yet Proverbs 3 says, 5 through 7, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And then verse seven, which we don't read often, be not wise in your own eyes, what you can see, what you think, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Abraham was not living out Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 right here. Now, I want to clarify, I don't think fear is a bad thing. Fear serves a good purpose. It's not totally wrong to live by fear. The problem is we fear the wrong things. We fear other people. And what they can do. Abram feared the Egyptians. 
more than he feared God. And, and Proverbs warns us against this in, in verse, chapter 29, verse 25. He says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. In other words, fearing man is a trap for us because we start living according to our fear and not by faith. And it can prevent us from moving forward in God's will for our lives. And when we fear man over God, we end up acting just like Abram did. There's one reason it says in Proverbs 1 said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of anybody? Wisdom. Wisdom. Fear meaning awe and reverence and love and trusting in God above all things, including what you can see as we just read in Proverbs 3. And here's Oswald Chambers, one of my favorite quotes of all time. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And it is so true. It's so true. We fear the wrong things. That is the problem when we face trials. Like another thing that we don't fear, we don't even think about is how our fear affects those that we love. For example, Abraham's fear caused his wife to be put in danger. He was willing for his wife to commit adultery with Pharaoh to save his own skin. Yeah. Makes the husband leaving the toilet seat up not be, not be such a bad thing, is it? Right? You can let some of those things go. Like he's literally, he's a, he was okay for her to commit adultery with the king of Egypt. Look, I'm not a perfect husband. I get a lot of things wrong. Marie would tell you. But man, this is like another level. Now, fortunately, it, rituals in that time is um, because uh, medical technology wasn't quite up to where we are now. They usually had this uh, time of waiting to make sure that the proposed wife was not all already pregnant. So Sarai probably lived in this part of the palace and she was isolated from contact with Pharaoh until this time passed. So she was probably okay. But this is a good reminder that your life consists of these concentric circles that surround you. And that the people that are living in the closest circles to you, like your family, your friends, they're connected to you. And as a result, they are affected by your decisions. Your decisions that are made in fear affect them. Your spouse, your kids, your church, your coworkers, people in your, they're, they're affected by your fear. We don't think about that enough. This should weigh heavily on us. I mean, I, this is a question I don't think I've even ever asked myself. Where is my fear affecting my family or my church family? Man, we fear the wrong things. We also, and we don't, this is, this is the one that I find the most, even the most scary, is we don't fear the lasting consequences of our fear. Verse 16 and for her sake, 
he, Pharaoh, dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxygen, oxen, <laughs> male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So in other words, in ancient times, Abram was now loaded with wealth. And it looks like his lies are paying off. And it's interesting, when we lie to protect ourselves, it like in the short room, it seems like it pays off for us. It's like when we're children. What is your default reaction when you're accused of something as a child? You lie, that's right, it was them. There's no them, you're the only one who lives in the house. I don't know, it's them, right? You lie, and in the short run, as a child, you learn lying pays off, doesn't it? Because your parents don't always know if you really did it or not. And so, or your teachers or whoever. So sometimes it saves you. And so you learn to keep doing this and it keeps paying off in your life. But in the end, it damages you more because you don't get punished for the wrong things that you're doing. It doesn't set you on the right course in your life and you end up damaging yourself more and more and more and more and more. This is why I remember one father saying to his children um, in one of my previous churches, he said to him, don't ever get comfortable with lying. You will only hurt yourself and your relationship with God. Don't ever get comfortable with lying. And it's a similar principle with Abram. In the short run, Abram's lie benefited him. But if you continue to read on, you see how much his riches actually caused him a problem. Let me tell you, in the next chapter, which we get to next week, because of his, it literally says this, because of the amount of stuff that Abram now has, him and his nephew Lot, they can't live together anymore. Their herds are all fighting with each other. Their men are fighting. They have to separate. And Lot, he heads off to Sodom and Gomorrah, which led to the downfall and ruin of his family. That's not even it. In chapter 16, we meet a woman, a female servant named Hagar, who through Sarai's and Abram's disobedience brought dishonor and sorrow into the home, greater than I have time to go into. Does anybody want to take a wild guess where Hagar was from? Egypt. It literally says she was Egyptian. Do you see it? This one lie, it impacted the rest of their lives. And in fact, we'll talk about this in several weeks. It impacted the world. This should scare us to death every time we are tempted to respond in fear. This should scare us to death every time we are tempted to lie. This should scare us to death every time we are tempted to run from a trial in our lives. Because God will not always save you from the consequences, consequences of your sin. He'll always keep his promises, despite your sin. Like if, if Sarah ended up getting pregnant from Pharaoh, this would have broken God's promise. So God was not going to let that happen. He intervened. It's a good reminder, God doesn't rule just over your obedience. He also rules over your disobedience as well. But God still allowed Abram to keep everything, everything he lied to get. He let Abram keep everything that was going to cause him trouble in the future. That scares me. 
That frightens me as I sat, I just sat with that this week. That every time that I react out of fear, where I'm not seeking the Lord, I'm left wondering what would God have done or what would have happened differently if I was obedient and what have I gotten myself into? Because you never know. When we lie, when we scheme to get what we want, we don't know where we've gotten ourselves into. It may be the worst thing for us. And lastly, another thing we should fear, if there was not enough already, is the message that we're sending to the world. 1 Peter 2 says that we should proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But what are we proclaiming when we act out of fear? As if God cannot be trusted, that we need to scheme or to lie or to run. I mean, what kind of message was Abram sending to Pharaoh when he lied about his wife? That Pharaoh had to say like in verse 18, why did you not tell me she was your wife? What a terrible humiliation it is when someone who does not believe in God has a higher moral standard than someone who does. What message are you sending to your children, to your spouse, to your friends, to your coworkers when you react out of fear in your life? Listen, and I'm not talking about coming up to someone saying, I'm afraid and I need God's help. I'm talking to someone who says, I'm afraid, so I'm going to do what it takes to fix things. So with all of this said, my whole prayer for this message is that when your faith is tested, and it will be, maybe it is right now, you will hear and sense the Holy Spirit encouraging you to choose that faith over fear. That your, your default response will be just to try to get out of it, but to pause, to seek the Lord, to look in his word. Now, his word does not speak to every situation in your life that you will experience, but it speaks to how to approach every situation you will experience. I mean, how would the things have changed? Think about it. Hagar, Lot, all of this. How would it have changed if, if Abram just paused and waited on the Lord. Say, God, I'm not moving until you tell me to. I pray as you go through all of this, you just, and you go through these times, your first thing to do is stop, you pray, you, you pause, you seek the Lord, and then it's to grab a promise to hold on to. Right? We, we, do, we do so, so much worrying in our lives, so much listening to our fear. We don't spend enough time speaking the promises of God into our life. That however we need to do, we will get it into our life, we'll memorize it, put it on our phone, put it on our wall, whatever that we may claim to that so we may keep our eyes on him and not others. That we'll remember that God has a great purpose for every trial, even if it's just to strengthen your faith. For James 1, 2 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect on you that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Nothing. 